talk about revolution that's going a little bit too far. So love me, love me, love me. I'm a liberal. Hello, and welcome once again to more like the worst wing. The show where, here in the year of our Lord 2020, we take a look at Aaron Sorkin's seminal television classic, The West Wing, from a bit more of a leftist socialist critique perspective. I am Stu. And I am Dave. And today's episode is called The Black Vera Wang. (laughs) It is the 19th episode of season three by our metrics it's actually the 17th episode of season three Fuck because episode numbering <laughs> there Who are cares? two non-canonical the, the title is the black vera wang that's the only important thing uh <laughs> it refers to a titular dress that cj will try on uh in the events of the episode as she takes her niece shopping for junior prom but we will get to that uh as we get to that uh, in this, the first thing we wanted to talk about in this particular episode is Sam's plot, actually. So Sam gets this VHS tape mailed to him, and they're all like, oh my god, what is it? And so they, they pop it in, and it's a anti-Bartlett campaign ad paid for by some sort of Republican PAC, super PAC kind of thing, right? Yes, um, it is... Like, it's, it's talking about Bartlett's unwill... And, God, this is so fucking limp-dicked, it's insane. It's talking about Bartlett's unwillingness to sign the fair campaign pledge or some right. shit. Right. They're basically... They're painting Bartlett as, like, this incredibly negative campaigner, uh, particularly because he had that open mic, quote-unquote, slip he did a couple episodes back where he insulted Richie's intelligence... Uh, and so they're trying to portray them negatively. And so Sam gets this and he's like, wow, you know, who, who sent the, you know, and like his Republican friend, lobbyist friend or something like that sent it to him. Um, and yeah, it's never confirmed. Well, I mean, eventually or, it's confirmed. Or no, they, no one knows who sent it to him. Yeah, they don't know who but sent he just it. Gets, he so... gets it. He has a Republican lobbyist friend and he goes to him. He wants to he wants to go to him to say, "Hey, we got your tape. If someone was trying to like leak it from your end, we don't want it." Um, and he he pitches this plan to like Bruno and some of the other staffers uh, after he shows them the tape and Bruno's like, "No, you fucking idiot. Just shove it in your drawer <laughs> yeah. and act like you never saw it and hope it never hits TV." You know, there's a bunch of these ads out there and most of them never make it to TV anyway, so fuck it. And honestly, I mean, you are seeing it in a completely private context with no other knowledge than it is a thing that was made and now you have it. Why would you draw any attention to it itself or your knowledge of its existence unless you are able to spin it into something that's advantageous to you? Right. And So Sam's not thinking tactically, like at all from here and it's it's, that's why bruno has to just like completely and of course sam ignores bruno's simple good advice because that's what the show is it's like no there's a simple clear solution here but i'm gonna do the more complicated solution because i think that deep down actually everyone's good and is gonna help my team uh including my republican friend and so sam decides to go meet with the republican friend goes and has lunch 
gives him the tape. Saying, gives him the tape back. Fucking gives him the tape. This guy might not even know this tape fucking exists before this moment. We find out later that he did, I guess. Yes. <laughs> but, but if, like, imagine just giving your opponent fr- free ammo. <laughs> like, here, here's some ammunition. Well, we're not going to use it or benefit strategically from it, but here it is. We're giving it back to your side. And it's like, I trust that you won't shoot me with this loaded gun I've given you. <laughs> because we're all on the, Like, we're all doing the same work here. We're oh all eventually on the same team. It's just like, holy shit. Oh my god. Um, and this is an election fucking year. <laughs> I don't, uh. and, well, so, and, and so clearly, basically, Sam fucks this up. <laughs> Yeah. Bruno, Bruno weighs in on him and is like, "You, you dumb bitch! Look at what you've done." He take he does this very dramatic thing again, where he takes him out of his office and into like the comms bullpen right. and turns on like four TVs right. with to, the ad playing on to it. prove the yeah, like good job, great, <laughs> like, great, fantastic. You did this. Look Sam. at <laughs> look. Sit here in your shame and and watch your fuck up take place on four different televisions. And, and so, and again, like, this is then reiterated when Sam is like, oh, I am now dumb enough to get mad at the guy who did this to me. <laughs> yep. And goes out. And, and confronts like, him. Physically in the, confronts him in the rain. In the rain. For maximum drama. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> of course it's raining. And they even shove each other a little. And they get all like, it's literally just like boys on the playground having a fucking shoving match. And like, <laughs> because Sam's so naive that he didn't think his friend, who is a Republican lobbyist or campaign strategist, wouldn't use this free ammunition that you just handed him to help attack the Democrats. And the the thing is, like, it could have wrapped... Which is his job! It, it could have wrapped with Bruno in the comms pen and, like, a nice fade out on Sam's face being like, And, like, oh, oh man. lesson learned, you know? But like, it, it has to go down this other route because it's like... Where he gets we're gonna personally have another, betrayed. We're going to have another confrontation because it's like, oh, we want our hero to demonstrate to the viewers that, like, Oh, it's this guy's fault. It's right. just like what the that, f- it that Sam is still good and righteous and did not yeah. fuck up. His only fuck up was being trusting, which is of course the fuck up that we allow over and over and over again. Because the overall point of the show is that, hey, guess what? We're all on the same right. team. Oh, well, you have like, to you have to treat the opposition in good faith. Uh, what what else is the point? It it's is so it's clearly baffling. It's but Bruno is awesome. It's because Bruno Yeah. Bruno is like he's the perfect as you said, he's the perfect mercenary. Like yes. he's he's an asshole, but he's our asshole, which right. is as frankly, long as you're paying him, he's the best yeah. man in the room for you. The yep. second you stop paying him though, like you you might be fucked if your opponent mm-hmm. decides to hire him. So yeah, he's it's the absolute you want him on your team. Uh, it's a shame he can't work there year round. I would find a way to keep him on staff full time. Yeah, I, I know I elections in- is only his thing, but I would get him cranking on midterms as soon as the election <laughs> is over. You know, that's right. Do some long term game theory. Here. Yeah, he also like, he's clearly the most competent staff member you all have. Well, and and he like there is a there is a quite touching thing where he displays some solidarity that is not. Um, going to happen with the rest of the staff. We'll oh talk boy. about that in a bit. But he comes through and 
quote-unquote forgets Margaret's name when he's there to see Leo again. Mm -hmm. And then, like, sort of flirts with her and then gives her, uh, like, a piece of jewelry. Uh Uh-huh. As a gift, like slips it, like slips it onto her desk, and she comes in and opens it up, and it's like a necklace with her name on it. Uh huh. And he's just like, "Of course, I know your name, girl." Like, (laughs) and and it it was then that a thousand fanfics of uh, Margaret slash Bruno were launched. (laughs) Yes. I can see the blogs going wild in two thousand two. I believe the actual actress shipped them and said, like, in her mind, her her and Bruno ended up hooking up and having a baby or something. Nice. <laughs> yeah. So yeah, uh, everything with Bruno is great. Everything with Sam is hilarious, but not for the reasons I think the show intends. And I just feel like this is the second time in almost as many episodes where Sam is like his character is put out to pasture as this. He's supposed to be this boy of wonder, mm-hmm. and he he can't even put his brain into this mode as a senior level staffer in the White House, like. Well, Here's the interesting thing with this show, if you'll allow me to digress for a moment. I feel like we never get long-term character growth much. Hmm. The characters mostly stay static, pretty much. I can't think of any character that really ends up much differently from where they started overall, in terms of, like, personality and character traits and, like, status and whatnot. They mostly stay static, and we don't really get to see, like, the long arc-style it's still in this weird in-between where they're not fully committed to having long arcs where you actually do get a character growth moment, but they keep hinting at it where like, you kind of feel like every time that this happens with Sam, like, Oh, he's going to learn his lesson this time. And next time he won't be so trusting, but that part never happens. Yeah. That's the weird bit. It stays in this weird status quo thing where it's still episodic and it's not fully yes. willing to commit to the whole serialized television thing. It's almost there, and it's keeping these plots going in the background between episodes, but it's not fully there yet. Yeah, and I think, um, I mean, this is actually kind of, we're, we're kicking off an arc here where they are trying to sort of have this longer story yes. unfold. But I, I can also see it It starts as, like, with Simon appearing, really, yeah. you could argue. And I, like, I think, I think your analysis is correct. And it's also, like, frankly, probably a function of the times. Because we're not quite into prestige, prestige TV. Right. It's yeah. a very, it's a time capsule thing where we're, like, you know, DS9 is just starting to experiment with this. And, like, that's sort of the first real, like, popular version of, like, long arcs with character growth or even character replacement. Which we finally get to towards the non-Sorkin years, but that's a discussion for a later time. Yeah. So that kind of pervades the episode as a whole. Let's take a brief break and we can talk about um, (laughs) a couple other things that are happening, including um, some interesting dynamics with the lower level staff in the White House. And you're keeping scars, not a competition, but I'm winning. Love's not a competition, but I'm winning. Welcome back. Uh, so, 
Our next subplot we'd like to discuss happens when Josh returns from a trip to Scandinavia somewhere. Norway? Sweden? Sweden? Norway? Finland? Norway. Yeah. Something like that. Anyway, one of those countries uh, where one can acquire something delicious like jerkied moose meat <laughs> and uh returns with a large box of it uh nice nice box by the way yeah, i'm actually a big box. fan of the box handmade box wooden box very you know it was cured um, in a sauna which seems very <laughs> higa to me yeah <laughs> um and so he gives it to donna he's like here enjoy this box full of moose meat jerky and she's like, great, thanks, Josh. Uh, we find out that off-screen, she has, uh, in turn, re-gifted it to a intern. Um, and then also off-screen, that intern has listed the moose meat jerky and box on eBay. Um, and then, so, the next time we interact with this plot, some assistant from some sort of office that keeps track of these sort of things is bothering Josh to say, hey, uh, that gift that you logged from the trip uh, showed up on eBay, so take care of it. Uh, (laughs) And Josh goes to yell at Donna about it, and then Donna uh, reveals that at that point she sold it to the intern and says she will try to take care of it and goes to confront the intern about it. Yeah, and so, like, before the confrontation happens, there is actually an interesting setup that they don't explicitly tie to this issue. There is an article, or it's actually not an article, it's just a release of GS statistics going on that is going to be published in the newspaper saying how much each administrative staffer is paid. Correct. And the assistants, so, you know... Margaret, Donna, um, the other ones. Ginger. Who, Ginger, yeah, who definitely have names, um, are all, like, <laughs> gathered in a uh, a room where Margaret is literally saying, like, <laughs> instead of replying to stuff or, like, interacting with the press about this, why don't we just take up the issue of being paid less with our bosses? Because <laughs> where it belongs. Where, exactly. She says where it belongs. It's literally, yes, because... That always works, you guys. <laughs> What's funny is they're they're the one workforce that has full transparency on what everyone makes, and thus they are in probably one of the better negotiating positions as this goes, since the the taboo about not wanting to talk about how much you make basically works for most other private companies in keeping workers from sharing that information with each other. Here, they're actually in the position where that information is not only shared with each other, but publicly. Yeah, everybody and, knows. <laughs> yeah, you you know, it's it's almost like the NFL Players Union where the you know, salaries are so public that it they can't help but become a talking point and thus you have negotiating power. Yeah, and so <laughs> I wrote friendship ended with Margaret. Now Ginger is my best friend because Ginger, <laughs> yeah. Ginger's like so, treating treating it this, as a thing that is like oh this so is actually bad. it's this weird thing. So you have to assume the writers the, the, in the writers' mind the secretaries don't even really have personalities aside from Donna. Like the most of them, the, the their other personality is just hardworking and loyal. Like that's everyone else's default personality. If you work in the White House, you're hardworking and you're loyal. Unless you know you're an evil or a bad person that we're gonna you know set up in a different way. Yeah. But everyone by default is hardworking and loyal, and then they get other personality traits. So these other assistants don't really have personalities. So for the writers to sort of like 
put this view in their mouths, like, really just sort of sells what their view of, like, normalcy and, and worker <laughs> relations and, and this sort of, this whole antagonism of workers versus managers is just sort of glossed over because we don't want to have that conversation. And it's weird that they do it so explicitly. Like, and you can, right. I just, I'm trying to imagine because, I mean, obviously this is most likely a Sorkin thing, but it's just like, if you had a writer's room with, you know, your your cadre of writers for any given mm-hmm. show or movie, can can you imagine the brain it takes to be like, I am one of these junior writers. I am getting paid shit, as is so, like, everybody else at this table currently. Let's mm-hmm. write this particular talking point directly into these characters' mouths. Right, and this one was written entirely by Sorkin, so uh, <laughs> I think I think we have our reason. Uh, I have no idea how much Sorkin used or didn't use his writer's room as, as much as he had one. Um, but the implication I feel like is that he just took a bunch of cocaine and banged these scripts out at like three in the morning. <laughs> like, I mean, allegedly, allegedly. Yes. In Minecraft. Um, so basically the shit flows downhill and we see exactly the outcome of this kind yes. of like just a rolling over for the bosses because Donna flips immediately as soon as she's put under any pressure from her boss. Right. So what's interesting is Josh shields Donna from the fir- from the person who confronts Josh about it. You know, she says, hey, your thing showed up on eBay. And Josh goes, oh, uh, okay, uh, I gave it to someone. I don't want to say who, but I'll take care of it. So Josh actually shielded Donna in that moment, which was interesting and good and cool on his part. But then Donna, Im- like you said, immediately flips and says, like, I gave it to an intern Actually, no. Doesn't she also protect the intern? Yes, she doesn't. She doesn't name names. She doesn't name names, so she says she'll take care of it herself. So, I will give her minor props for the moment for at least not letting Josh at the intern, who was immediately going to fire them. Yeah. Um. So she tries to clear it up with the intern and says, "Okay, fine. Just get it back to me, and we'll and we'll all be square." And he's like, "I can't. I you know it's sold already, and I I wrote I wrote a check to my landlord." And I can't, you know, that money's gone. And she, and she's like, so I'm out whatever hundred bucks. Like, and then, um, and she said, so she doesn't fire him. No, she doesn't fire him. And it like, there, there's like a, but she, she rep, she says, you can't work in the West wing anymore. Yeah. Like we're going to assign you to another, another, like less important office. Well, and I uh, think, I think it's also interesting that at the same, which is com- there's completely distonal from earlier where it's like, we have this gaggle of assistants like going like, we're with the bosses. And then right. you have this intern who I don't know if by virtue of the fact that Aaron Sorkin is just tremendously condescending by nature, but the intern actually voices this thing. He says, I'm actually not being, I, I can't remember the words he says, so I'm going to find oh, right. the clip. I'm going to put the clip in right here. I'm not being paid to work here. Yeah. He says this. Yeah. No, I don't work here. Or more accurately, I don't get paid to work here. I don't care. My landlord does. I, I file, copy, deliver, get coffee, get pizza, and I do it for free. And that's exactly what you signed up for. In fact, you had to jump through 14 hoops to get the gig. Did anybody lie to you? That doesn't matter. That's all that matters. You're like a college athlete justifying... <sighs> so, 
It's like, yeah, I'm actually not being paid to, like, you right. actually don't pay well, me. Well, and that brings up that, you know, the whole, obviously most of our listeners hopefully know this, but internships as they are, are a complete scam, because even by law, you're not really supposed to be doing productive work, mm-hmm. and he says, I file, I, I get coffee, I do this, I do this, I, like, all of these things that count as productive work, and if anything, an in, intern is actually supposed to slow your productivity down yeah. <laughs> as you teach the intern how to do things. Um, they're not just supposed to be temporary free workers, which is what they have morphed into, uh, because of capitalism. Yeah. And so to have both but even of those, under the laws of capitalism, they're not being treated properly. Like, and to have both of those twists in one episode, it's just like, I mean, frankly, right. it, it speaks to your theory of Sorkin just getting coked up and writing a bunch of yeah. shit that doesn't well, make sense. Well, and then, so here's here's how this would really go down, is A, this kid would not be worried about money, because if you can want to do a White House internship, you're rich already. Yes. And you're, and you're not worried about rent, or whatever. But, like, they're trying to paint it as this realistic portrayal of what really would happen if you were an unpaid intern, where you're like, hey, man, I'm, I'm doing work, but I'm getting zero money. Uh, I can't <laughs> I can't pay for anything. And it's like, yeah, it turns out that situation can't last. What was this kid going to do if he didn't get handed a, a free box of moose jerky by Donna? Yeah, like it's, it, it's, <laughs> like it's, it's, it's a ridiculous situation. Yeah, it's completely, it's a, it's a bubble within this episode. Where it's just like, none of this really makes None much of this sense. would happen. <laughs> uh, other than that. Because the, if other, you, you understand going into the internship that it is unpaid and you've, you hopefully have made plans to either get some income elsewhere through a second job or more realistically, you're already rich enough because the only people who get these internships are the rich connected, like fail sons and, and fail daughters of, of rich, of upper, upper class people. Yeah. So that's who go fun. through the, the fucking Ivy pipeline. So yeah, so that whole thing is a whole big mess, and nothing good comes out of it except, I guess, Donna's out two hundred bucks or whatever. <laughs> yeah. yeah, sorry, Donna. You know, let's, I guess that's <laughs> how it goes. Wah, wah, wah. <laughs> yeah. All right. So we got uh, a couple let, more things to touch on. Yeah. Let's take another quick break here, and then we can touch on the other topics in this episode. actually get at the end of this episode the like basically a the beginning of the setup to the concluding arc of this particular season of season three where um there's a very kind of just out of the blue uh leo and bartlett go to the situation room and are informed that there is a quote credible threat unquote yep to domestic security where they're like put the terror alert to red (laughs) yeah Make it number three instead of number four. Um, so, like, they bring him to the room. They name a bunch of domestic air bases or, like, a range of threat because they got some sort of intel that says, oh, they're poised or we've gotten word of within a certain number of miles, these are the targets right. or something, which doesn't fucking make sense to me because, like, tar- 
range of targets of what? Like, the only thing I can think of is like, oh, so you know that there's going to be a missile launched? I don't know. Or like, you know that they have the capacity to travel by car? The the intel is very (laughs) spotty, but they end up, the long and short of it, without wanting to get into the weeds of it too much, is they end up foiling the suspected attack, and it turns out it was going to be at the base of the Golden Gate Bridge, where the suspension cables are are kept, and therefore it could have mm-hmm. it could have been like a nine eleven style attack on San Francisco, basically on the Golden Gate Bridge. Um, so they stop it, which is of course the ultimate like lib jerk off fucking fantasy, which is that oh if a Democrat was in, we would have stopped the terrorism before <laughs> yeah. it happened. It is it's extremely thinly veiled that it's like. Especially the invocation of, like, the credible threat this thing. Is this is all an XP being... for this. Like, Sharif is Bin Laden. Like, well, no, he's, I guess he's more Gaddafi. But, yes. you know, he is effectively, a, you know, a terrorist leader, quote-unquote. This is this is their version of Al-Qaeda was the cell or whatever that, mm-hmm. that was planning the attack. It's all very thinly veiled 9-11 allegory, basically. Yeah, because, I mean, this was obviously on everybody's fucking minds. This went on the air in May of 2002. Right. So it's like, yeah, we're okay, still cool. in the extreme post, you know, Iraq hasn't even started yet. Yeah, yeah. So this this is foiled, but down kind of like towards the end of the episode, because we've technically heard of Abdul Sharif before. Yes. He is mentioned not really i wouldn't say completely in passing but like there are references to him earlier as being They've a set source up. right yeah they've set him up as a source of intelligence that they use in the middle east but then so during this whole debacle they you know uh they said well what intel did we get from from sharif it's like well we didn't get here's the thing mr president we did he's gone silent <gasps> bum, bum, bum. Dun, dun, dun. It's like what? But isn't Sharif coming here next week? Yes, he is. Bum, bum, bum. <laughs> and it's yeah. just like so. We're setting up the sh- what I'll call the Sharif arc here in our final few episodes, um, where they start to realize like, oh, he- Sharif, bad man. We must do something about Sharif. And this is where they start to get like the literally the episode ends with them starting to start to have that realization. And then next episode is going to be a lot of the talking about what do we do about Sharif? And then the final episode, we get to see what they do about Sharif. Yeah. And it's interesting that they kind of, they, they have done this at the same time that they're doing the CJ threat. Right. And in fact, they're very tied together. Yes. And I, it's, they have deliberately tied them together again, but in, sort of in actuality it was established initially that it's like the cj threat is separate correct it was because of her speech about the saudis who sharif is not from saudi arabia he's from their made-up country of uh what equatorial kundu or whatever yeah 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 and so it's like okay these are sort of but definitely not related and i the the arc for both cj and sharif follows through the end of the season so both of these plot points as we had kind of mentioned earlier like they're starting to do some serialization of this correct it's like for both this of these arc. Plot, plot points yeah. 
are evolving for the Simon arc and for the Sharif arc. We like we get a taste of what it would be like if the show actually did have follow through and character development and everything, because these are events that will like remember and and characters will comment on later. You know, like when the shooting happens, that's a good example. And then afterwards, Josh has the PTSD. Like that was mm-hmm. a good example of like actually having an arc and character reactions and character growth. And we usually don't get that. It goes back to episodic. But here we see them dipping back into that arc uh, just for these two subplots, though. Well, I also like that you mentioned the the Rosalind shooting because what happens with CJ and Simon in this episode, that's an excellent segue, Uh is they take CJ's niece uh, shopping for a prom dress at like Nordstrom or something. Mm -hmm. Um, And first of all, niece is played by Evan Rachel Wood, a very young Evan Rachel Wood. Yeah, holy hell. So young, (laughs) I didn't even notice, even though Stu tried to point it out multiple times in the notes (laughs) and stuff. And then just before the call, I was like, oh, that's Evan Rachel Wood? (laughs) (laughs) So they take her shopping, and basically they have an interaction between Evan Rachel Wood and Simon whilst TJ is kind of like trying on this dress that she has nothing to do with The titular Black Vera Wang. Exactly. And so Evan Rachel Wood, in a somewhat gross and very Sorkin sexist way, is pretty much flirting with Simon. She definitely thinks he's like super cool. (laughs) Yeah. And it's a little weird because he plays a little closely into. But anyway, so they do like cool security guy things. He's like, you know how I scope out a room? Yeah. Yeah. Take a look. Real, real. And then like, what do you remember? Yeah, and but, but so the the point of that <laughs> is that they come back around to the like somewhat ham-handed reference that Simon was on the security detail at Roslyn when the president was shot. Right. And the close of that scene is him saying to her like, "Hey, we're not going to tell CJ about that right now, okay?" And CJ like, and CJ right. overhears that bit, which of course makes it worthless. Uh, because her first action after getting back is, what were we not going to tell CJ about? <laughs> God, God damn it. <laughs> uh, shit. It's, it's just so unnecessary. <laughs> yeah. So, uh, so, and then, so he tells her and she's like, oh, well, you're, you're a good guy, Simon. <laughs> like, I, it, it's just, it is. <sighs> it's so stupid. It's, it's trying so, to it's be so, manipulative. The way it's done, too, where she's like, have you ever pulled out your weapon? He's like, yes. She's like, have you ever fired your weapon? Yes. He's like, but when would a Secret Service agent fire his yeah. weapon? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> God, God damn it. And it's so, it's so manipulative and like... You see what we're doing here? Right. You see? Right. So this and is just like, so this uh, like cracks some of CJ's wall or whatever and makes her yes. warm up to Simon a little more. And like that was the whole point of it. But then also we get a second email threat from uh, from someone who was in the store, perhaps the man in the coat that Simon was talking about when he was doing his little secret service demo to Evan mm-hmm. Rachel Wood, uh, says, "Hey CJ, you, you looked great in the dress. You should wear it. Because you'll be dead soon. <laughs> and then my favorite thing is Simon slams the laptop shut very angrily. Like, that's going to do anything. <laughs> like, oh. like, oh. Oh, shit. An email got through to the mainframe from the hard drive. <laughs> I'm going to need a hard drive again. Yeah, like, you just see him in the background going, like. <laughs> Quick, hack, hack it. <laughs> yeah. Uh. <laughs> 
So yeah, so she get the death threats are still going or or increasing or you know it's getting more personal because now the person had eyes on CJ. Um, mm-hmm. So you know the the threat is escalating, and that's what we end our episode on. Yeah, and so it's it like there was a lot of stuff happening yeah. in this and, episode. And also, um, uh, Toby is having a fight with the TV executives. I just wanted to briefly mention uh, yes, about absolutely. so they want to not air the entire Democratic National Convention because they think <laughs> it's going to be fucking boring as hell. Because well, it is. Because it is. Um, and particularly when it's not contested or anything, when it's an incumbent like this. Um, and so they're like, yeah, we'll give you an hour. Like, oh, an hour a night? No, an hour. <laughs> you know, we'll show them the final speech and the balloons. People like the balloons. It's good television. <laughs> Is the Republican nominee Rob Ritchie? Yes. Is his running mate Jeff Heston? Yes. And that question, as impossible as it may be to believe, becomes even less suspenseful when talking about the Democratic ticket. And will there be anything of any force or consequence in the platform? No. Will there be a floor fight over it? What does it matter? And you're getting huffed because the four of us are questioning the wisdom of presenting a four-day infomercial in prime time under network news simulcast? We'll show the acceptance speeches and the balloons. The balloons aren't news, but it's nice television. And it's uh, it's just, it's really great because it's finally it's somebody who frankly, like actually if this was happening today like 20 years later they would have these executives would pretty much be just as powerful as toby is right <laughs> like on, on a broad scale it's like yes these guys are going to come in and big what, dick you around what's, fun, what's funny is nowadays they would all be fighting to show every fucking minute of <laughs> of both conventions because now it's become <laughs> no so that's that's what's funny to me is like this idea that like oh it wasn't the big circus that it was that it is nowadays like no yeah i guess it's become a lot more politics as circus and entertainment recently so maybe maybe that is a little true I, it's just, it's just it's funny very, to me to see them fighting for like less coverage <laughs> yeah and it's it's very self-referential because like you have this ouroboros of this is a show about politics that is talking about broadcasting politics as a show and it's right. just like Okay. And then so um, it, it ends up with Toby just being like, hey, 70 years ago, we gave you the airwaves. And all we asked for is four nights every four years or whatever. And they're all like, okay, fine, whatever, Toby. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and, and that's it. And that's it. It's, like, there's no, uh, they, okay. they just give up. And they're like, fine, we'll just air the fucking convention. Fine, whatever. <laughs> this was stupid. Can I go home to my big mansion? <laughs> Yeah, I need to. My, my pile of money hasn't been slept on. In almost I haven't hours. harvested any home? adrenochromes in a while. <laughs> <laughs> I'm starting to get a little less immortal here. <laughs> Back to Comet Pizza with me. Um, but yeah, yeah, that that pretty much wraps up all the. It was a busy episode, like you said. It was. It was. There's a lot going on in it. Nothing. I don't want to say nothing happens because we actually do. Are we're embarking on an arc here, so things happen that will matter. Um, like the stuff with Sharif and the stuff with CJ and Simon is going to have dividends in the next couple of episodes, uh, as we will see going forward. Yeah. So let's take a brief break and we can wrap up.
So that's about it. Um, the other thing I kind of noticed was an interesting dynamic that played out with, we had mentioned that Sam's uh, Republican operative friend or whatever was kind of around. And there was an interesting, I don't think it's quite intentional dynamic that played out with his interactions. So we being cynical assholes and watchers of this show, <laughs> like can see what's going to happen from a dramatic standpoint because Sam is just fucking walking into this with, you know, gaga eyes, like oh, eyes I'm... wide open. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. But you get sort of what I would consider to be an unintentional knock-on effect of this being a, a one-shot character played by a, a character actor because he comes through and he's acting the part and going through the part in almost like an overeager way to sort of match Sam's like blinkered, like doe-eyed approach to it. And the presumption that you make as an audience member is that it's you accept that he is acting in good faith I think because he is not as top tier an actor. You expect a minor role to be played by a poor actor. In theory. So it's like, well, right. of course he's he's being too eager and badly like doing this thing because he's just a dummy. You know, they're just friends. Right. And we won't ever see this guy again. And so I thought it was a really interesting sort of perversion of casting where it's like, actually this reinforces the guy's deceit yes because he was actually playing sam for the fool the whole time yeah underneath it he's actually like being a badass like he's the he's the killer instinct he's going back to the gop lobbying firm or whatever going like fucking victory (laughs) (laughs) yeah Mm -hmm. exactly and so and you would think that sam being the staid recurring character top top billing actor is the one who is competent in that scenario Mm -hmm. so i just thought it was kind of interesting that they play him off of uh, kind of the one-off way uh, to, to really fuck with him. Interesting to note, that actor was also the same actor in Men in Black that Will Smith helps deliver the alien baby for. <laughs> that I did not notice on his resume. I saw a bunch of shows that I was like, I've never seen any of these. Yeah. Uh, Reggie, the alien who baby whose baby Jay delivers in Men in Black. Thank you, West nice. Wing Wiki. And... Thank you, actor Patrick Breen. Shouts yep. to Patrick Breen. That's his, that's his name. So yeah, Evan Rachel Wood as Hogan Craig and Patrick Breen as Kevin Kahn. Nice. Um, yeah. And yeah, that that pretty much does it. Um, I did want to mention real quickly, we forgot to mention this in the episode, they keep threatening to take Bartlett, Bartlett to the bunker. Uh, because of the secure, you know, the really creditable terrorist threat. And Bartlett keeps fighting against it for like stupid vanity reasons of like, I can't go to that bunker because then I'll have to look people in the eye and, and they'll, they'll see that I was a coward or some, or some bullshit like that. And it's like, no one would fucking cares. No one cares at all. Yeah. And when when Cheney, when Cheney went to the bunker on 9-11, no one thought Cheney was a coward for doing so or whatever. Well, And I think this is actually another interesting meta that we talked through a little bit before we started recording where these roles are played understanding that they're being filmed and then broadcast on television. And so I imagine that you can't even, you can almost not help thinking of like, everybody will see what this character is doing. Right. But no one would see it. But no one would see it. There would be camera footage of the president getting whisked to the bunker. It just happens. And then you hear about it after it happens. Yeah. So I, I don't know. I'm sure there's a name for the phenomenon, but it's just like you got you got to you got to take a step back and be like, 
President no one Bartlett would care would about see this. this. No one cares yeah. about this. And no president would, like, put up a big dramatic fight about it either. They'd be like, okay, yeah, let's make sure we have the sit room link down there. Let's make sure we have, you know, like, they would be preparing. Like, Well, yeah, they'd be doing work. Yeah. They'd be, like, saying this is just another day at the office. So <laughs> yeah. whether whether this is occurring in the bunker or not, who gives a shit? Yeah. Like, <laughs> yeah, it's so stupid. But anyway, yeah, I just wanted to mention that. That that definitely wraps it up, though. Uh, thank you all for listening. Uh, we always enjoy hearing your comments, thoughts, feedback. You can post in our thread on the forums, uh, or if you heard about us a different way, you can shoot the show an email at theworstwing69 at gmail.com. Nice. Nice. And uh, we will be back next week to discuss another episode of The West Wing here on The Worst Wing. Bye-bye.